Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogen Tirandekura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. Hello and welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast to Matt Pepsel. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, Diagin. How are you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm doing great, uh, uh, Matt. And uh, uh, I think uh, you're someone that has a very uh, diverse uh, experience. Uh, and uh, the topic of leadership, I think, will be uh, uh, important during our whole conversation. Uh, but first, uh, can you uh, share like the highlights of your uh, story uh, to the audience? Yeah, happy to. I, I had my first adult job ever was courtesy of the United States Marine Corps. So I had military background. It was uh, uh, one of the first experiences I had. They jammed a book of leadership principles into my hand. And I thought, oh, man, adults take this stuff pretty seriously. So I spent six years in the Marine Corps. And then when I got out, I showed up to my first civilian job. And I was like, let's do more of that leadership development stuff. And they said, what are you talking about? And it was my first realization that, oh, not every organization invests in uh, leadership the same way that I had experienced. So I also found that my uh, leadership techniques and, and approaches that I had used in the military didn't translate very well to civilian life. So I almost had to relearn how to how to lead in that context. But I, I loved it. I just started studying. I had books on tape, just anything I could consume about how to become a better leader. And eventually I was so committed that I enrolled in a PhD program in psychology to study leadership and coaching. And so uh, over now at this point, more than 25 years of, of operating experience, primarily in software background and, and um, consulting and, and leading teams, and as well as studying what it takes to lead teams successfully, that was all working really well for me right up until it didn't. And uh, when the pandemic hit, like so many people, I ended up questioning my, my priorities and reexamining my values. And, and uh, that's what really led me to this current uh, state that I'm in. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, and, and when you say uh, the, the leadership principles that uh, you learned during your military career did not translate well to, uh, uh, let's say, regular regular job, like office jobs, right. uh, what was uh, the period uh, at that moment? Yeah, almost everybody who's in the military signed up for uh, service, for uh, being a part of something, the esprit de corps, the camaraderie, you know, wanting to serve their country, whatever it might be. You go to civilian world and you're working in a small software company, they're not necessarily as uh, I don't want to say not as committed to doing good work, but it's just they don't necessarily have that same level of, of drive for service. And you can't just uh, utilize that so much. There was so much um, infrastructure in the military that just doesn't exist for civilian leaders. You kind of have to uh, supplement where those things are lacking through your own leadership. So you, you can't just come in and start, you know, throwing over tables and telling people what to do and bossing them around and things. In the military, we put up with that a little bit because there's a bigger mission at play. There's a hierarchy. There's a way that it's done. In the civilian world, it's a lot more about influence. It's a lot more about, um, yes, giving direction, but doing it in a very thoughtful way. And, uh, and certainly uh, th that had to change for me. Okay, yeah, that's. Uh, I think the word influence is uh, is key, uh, <clears throat> is key there, and also as you said, the commitment. Uh, when you're in the military, I think you all risk your life uh, at certain levels, so that's 
that's quite big. We don't expect that when you're going a software. <laughs> not usually. Not usually. <laughs> in the office of a software company. Uh, okay, good. And, uh, and and then, yes, you started, as you said, you, you that, that passion, that interest uh, put you, prompted you to start a psychology study. So how many years ago was that? Uh, yeah, so I finished up in 2011. So that was uh, quite a while ago. It was a six-year program. In the uh, dissertation, the work that I did, I was doing research on technology-assisted coaching. So pairing a coach with people who are going through different goal achievement programs, but connecting exclusively through software, you know, through the internet, and was able to produce very similar outcomes in terms of goal attainment and well-being and levels of hope and things that I was studying. So it really kind of bolstered my commitment to coaching and development and, and helping people by drawing out of them you know, their pathways to success, which was uh, great to see that we can use technology to help us do those things. Ah, that is uh, that, that is excellent. And is, is that the, the, at that moment that uh, you uh, determine that there are always uh, three Bs into someone or? Yeah, that came a little bit later in the sense that when uh, the pandemic hit and I started to think about what is it that I'm experiencing and I, I was kind of going through this, this uh, process where I was I was still committed to my company and to my role and to being a, a leader, but I didn't feel like I was showing up as a leader the way that I wanted to. And I think that um, for me, what that did is it led me to examine what has really changed, what's happened in the landscape that uh, in this tumultuous time. And what I did is I went all the way back to the beginning and I thought about work itself because my relationship with work had changed. And I was seeing this also for people all around me, you know, whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're a, you know, per of a Fortune 500 company, you have a relationship, work plays a role in your life. You know, some people build their lives around work, some people build their work around their life, you know, it, 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 but it plays a relationship. And so what had happened was I started to look back at the history of work. And obviously over the last three years, five years, it's the way we've worked has changed completely. You know, so many people are remote or hybrid. It's more collaborative than ever work is. Uh, knowledge economy, technology has fundamentally changed almost every industry that I can think of. So the work is totally different. What also I find is that the workers today, and myself included, uh, you know, are different as well. We expect more than just a paycheck and good benefits. You know, and this is where the, the three B's that I came to find where uh, every worker wants some level of being, belonging, and something bigger than themselves. And so when you think about being, how can I show up fully as myself and not have to hide away parts of me? I can truly be authentic. Belonging is all about creating strong social ties with my teammates and those people around me. And then serving something bigger than myself is really the fact that any of those self-pursuits can only take me so far. I want to be, I want to have purpose and meaning in my life. And I'm only here on this earth for so long. So I want to make sure that it counts. And um, what I found is that those are the three B's that drive workers today. And while those two domains, the work and the worker, have fundamentally changed, when I was thinking about my domain of leadership, it hasn't changed much at all. And I think that was really eye-opening for me to think about everything has evolved, but leadership hasn't. So what do we need to do now to meet people where they are? Okay, that's that, that, that's very interesting. When you say leadership has not, uh, has not changed, uh, what do you mean there? So like, if we think about leadership in the old, old, old days, it was very authoritative. You know, if you think about just ordering people what to do, think about working factories back in the Industrial Revolution, there was not a lot of nicey-nice, right? Later on, we started to see transactional leadership take 
place. And then there was transformational leadership. We see techniques like servant leadership back in the 80s and and uh, more recently, authentic leadership. But it's fundamentally, there hasn't been that much new happening in the area of leadership, despite the fact that everything around us is new. And so I started to think about, well, what is it that we can do to address these needs, these very human needs that people have? And we're going to need a very human um, form of, of leadership to to help them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you say it hasn't changed, because the the it's like there are some adjectives, new adjectives like uh, server and transformational. Maybe the 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 way we qualify leadership has changed, but what the leader actually has to do or has to be has not uh, changed. That's what yeah. you mean. I think okay. that's very true, and I feel like if you if we take our cues from the world of work as an example and how the work has changed today, what we're seeing is this evolution. The most advanced organizations today are pursuing corporate social responsibility. They're pursuing environment, society, and governance, ESG. They're pursuing conscious capitalism, now recognizing that we have to serve more stakeholders than just the bottom line. It's a more uh, selfless form of organization, right? Now I can benefit the, the environment. I can benefit my community stakeholders. I can give back to the communities in which my business operates. Uh, certainly, I want my employee welfare to be high. And And yes, of course, we want to have profitable businesses, too. So businesses have sort of left their own self-interest to some extent to try to to be about more than just just profits. Um, The workers themselves, like you say, wanting purpose, meaning something bigger than myself. So for me, what that was a cue is saying that leadership itself, how do we move from our own self-interest, our own leader as the sort of the center of the action and taking a cue from those other domains? What if leadership really isn't about me at all? What if it's about the mission? And what if it's about the other people? Can I, you know, have that type of of selfless approach in my leadership? And and for me, that's exactly the answer that we need. Okay, excellent, excellent. And you you mentioned that you, uh, if I'm not wrong, you you do you do coach some uh, some individuals uh, and organizations. A little bit. I think in definitely in terms of, of coaching is a practice that I just have such a profound respect for. And I work with a lot of coaches who do great work, uh, not even just executive level coaching. We're starting to see technology assisted coaching make it much more accessible. Uh, we're starting to also see you know group based coaching become increasingly popular for cohorts of people going through similar challenges, peer coaching. So, yeah, I, I definitely try to stay close to those things. Okay. Okay. That's, that is excellent. And, uh, t- uh, today you have, you have written a, a book, uh, and when I see your, uh, uh, your website, you, I think the way you lay out your story is amazing. Uh, I encourage uh, anyone that is listening to the episode to, uh, look actually at your, uh, uh, at your, at your website. Um, uh, also there is something that you, that you mentioned pretty, uh, strongly is realize your true potential. That's right. When, when you say that, what is behind that? <laughs> yeah, when we think about potential, it's like if I walk into a room of workers and I say, hop to your feet if you consider yourself to be a highly capable leader. Wow. You think a lot of people are going to jump to their feet? <laughs> I think we have such a mystique when it comes to leadership and what it even means. There's no generally accepted definition. So the first thing is that when we think about what is our true potential, I believe that every worker at every level of every organization is a leader. Certainly, I was trained that way in the Marine Corps. That was a philosophy that that stuck with me. I think that even if you're an individual contributor or a solopreneur, you manage your projects, you manage yourself, you manage your interactions with those around you. Those are all acts of leadership. 
So I want everyone to feel like, okay, I'm not ashamed or, or hesitant to call myself a leader. So we all have the potential to lead. And every email, every conversation, every everything, they're leadership opportunities. But the true potential, I think, for me, what I found is that we buy into a lot of storylines. We tell ourselves, you know, oh, I'm not deserving or, you know, uh, there's so much we beat ourselves up if we're not perfect. Well, I know a lot of leaders, but I don't know any perfect leaders. Right. Mm-hmm. For myself growing up in the in the in the working world, it was a lot of being um, having imposter syndrome, being a, an insecure overachiever not feeling like I measured up and just beating myself up over these things. And that wasn't a reflection of my true potential. The truth is like every other leader, I'm a work in progress. You know, there's things that I'm actually, you know, really good at and some things that I'm complete rubbish at and that's fine. And I've had failures. Sure. But how do I actually experience and express some level of self-compassion and self-acceptance for those things? You know, and start to realize that the truth is, and this is the part of true potential, is that if we can just tap into our our natural essence and allow it to flow through our leadership without all the baggage and the distortion that we create, you know, with some of our patterns of thinking, all of a sudden we can realize that true potential. And that's that's what it's all about is trying to understand how things the, the true nature of things, as well as how to remove a lot of the our own self-limiting beliefs and our be- uh, behaviors in order to get closer to that ideal. Okay, that is uh, that is an excellent uh, uh, explanation. And I think uh, that that would be a, a great process for anyone who would like to interact uh, uh, with you on that. And to um, to expand also uh, on that, you, you have uh, written uh, a book, yep. uh, Expand the Circle. Um, and I think it's, it's an interesting um, cover and an interesting uh, uh, title. So can you, um, can you explain uh, both? Yeah, I think that I decided to write the book as I was starting to bounce back from some of the challenges that I originally experienced during the pandemic and and not showing up the way that I wanted to as a leader. And for me, trying to find stability in this massive change that we were all going through led me back to the meditation cushion. It's a practice I hadn't done in a long time, that type of mindfulness and just quieting the world down and trying to get and reconnect with my essential self, if you will. And while I was there, I learned of a Tibetan Buddhist meditation technique that's uh, referred to sometimes as expanding the circle of compassion. And so you wish for welfare and happiness for yourself and then maybe out to your spouse and your kids. Can you can you push a little further out to your coworkers? Can you keep going to a stranger perhaps? And then eventually out into, you know, all beings in the universe and in the tradition. And I thought, holy cow, this is exactly how I've approached leadership. You have to learn to lead yourself before you can learn to lead others lead your team, lead your organization, and finally, yes, spill that leadership out into the world. And so that became a five-step framework for me to examine leadership and to understand, like, how could we have this this ancient wisdom practice, you know, 2,500 years in the making, and uh, apply it to leadership? But as a Western-trained psychologist, then I'm like, okay, well, we have to do the research. And so Mm -hmm. as I started to break down, what does it mean to lead yourself I started to uncover these themes of self-awareness and self-acceptance, self-confidence, talking about authenticity, and then finally, self-transcendence, where you realize it's not all about you. So uh, the book is really an examination of my own experience and and, um, discovering 
all of these different elements that make up those five pillars of leading yourself and others in your team and so forth, and really providing a set of practical exercises that every leader at every level can use to develop that capacity that we all have to truly emerge as, as enlightened leaders. That's great. Uh, and and how, how often on a personal level, how often do you, do you check yourself actually? Are you uh, checking that you're actually leading yourself as an enlightened leader? Yeah. So uh, my meditation practice, for example, continues every day. I try to meditate every day and some sessions are better than others, of course, because I'm human. I'm still you know, pretty new at this a couple of years in, but I'm committed to that level of, of quiet and that level of uh, allowing sort of clarity to emerge. So that is a daily practice. In terms of my own self-assessment, I try to do it once a month where I sit down and realize, have I, have I let something slip? Have I got an area that I want to lean into? It helps me set my priorities. So as an example, self-awareness doesn't come just from self-examination, which I encourage all leaders to do, but also feedback. So if I haven't checked in in a while with people around me, I might ask, you know, how am I showing up for you? You know, if I ask that to the people who are on my team, they may surprise me with their answers. You seem a little tired this week. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that level of awareness is not a one and done kind of, oh, I'm aware now I can just keep moving on. No, no. You got to check in with yourself to your point uh, every so often. So I find that that's helpful to go back and, and do it. And then once you have picked, you know, call it two or three areas to focus on that you want to get better at using the exercises, using other outside reading. There's lots of different techniques you can use to uh, employ those things. Okay. Okay. That is, um, yeah, that, that, that is excellent. And I think indeed what you teach, you also practice it for yourself. And then you look with, uh, getting the regular feedback from others. I think that is, uh, that is very important. Uh, there, there is a, a, a question that I have in, in mind and something that I often see. So I used to live in uh, Europe and now I live in Canada and now I'm more used to the, uh, North American uh, culture, but mm -hmm. something that I have seen with a lot of, um, leaders in a uh, corporate I notice, I know that it's not the majority, but I notice that it's quite common that someone that has a military background end up being in a leadership position in a, or leadership role, uh, in corporate. Do you, uh, do you have an idea why? <laughs> <laughs> There's some level of assertiveness and dependability and confidence that gets ingrained into people in the military based on the high stakes, uh, situations that they, uh, you know, sort of develop in. So I, I tend to hear that military people are consistent and, as I mentioned, reliable. Yeah. And those are, are good traits. Uh, they also t uh, teach military people typically how to have a commanding presence. Um, and I think that in there was a time when the military was seen as being very hierarchical, you know, with lots of layers and it was well suited to very large organizations that also tend to be hierarchical and matrixed. But the military has really evolved. It's become a lot more agile. It's a lot more team based a lot more use of technology and, and um, knowledge and collaboration than there was before. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's a really great proving ground for a lot of what we're facing now in terms of uncertainty and a lot of the military terminology around something like uh, VUCA, which is a term that originated in the military, but applies to business now. And, um, and these sorts of things, all of a sudden, uh, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. You know, these are terms that very much describe the business environment. So I think that's part of the reason why uh, military personnel, as we would call it, um, tend to, to uh, get promoted and rise in organizations. Okay. Okay. That is, um, yeah, that is excellent. Excellent, uh, excellent answer. Uh, also, um, 
you have uh, created uh, your book, you have made a lot of research. Uh, are there any personal like le leaders that uh, you uh, admire for uh, XYZ reason or also some leadership books and resources that you, uh, uh, that you would advise to the audience? Uh? Yeah, one of the things that I really loved doing in the process of writing the book was really familiarizing myself with so many of the uh, subject matter experts in various domains. So as an example, I, I cite probably 100 uh, either psychology studies or other great works that other authors have preceded me. So, for example, if you take a look at my book and you're like, okay, awareness is really interesting. There's a book in there called Insight that was written by Tasha Urich. And Tasha found that, for example, that while... 95% of us believe that we're self-aware when tested in terms of research. In reality, the accuracy of that, only 10 to 15% of us actually are self-aware accurately. Oh. So she had led that, that led her to say that uh, on a good day, 85% of us are lying to ourselves as to whether we're lying to ourselves. <laughs> and so that's an example of a book that if you're like, I really want to go even deeper than Matt has in the area of insight, you know, her uh, self-awareness, I should say, mm -hmm. insight, her book is, is a good one. Another memorable one for me is Amy Edmondson, who's done phenomenal work in the area of psychological safety. She wrote a book that I cite called Fearless Organizations. That's a good one for really understanding how to create safe, uh, in my case, team-based context for us to, to operate within. So uh, there's a lot of great examples um, in the bibliography of that book of people who've, who've spoken uh, to me through their work. Yeah. Um, and I'll give you just one more quick example. Another great one uh, in terms of, of meaning and mission. I cite the work of Simon Sinek in his classic Start With Why. And uh, it, I think that these are all great books. And what I've tried to do is configure them into the framework of, you know, learning to lead myself before leading others before leading teams and leading your organization and, and out into the world. And so I think giving them sort of their proper place um, really helps to make them more uh, digestible in terms of, of where these great experts have come before me and, and contributed all this amazing work. How does it fit into a framework that, again, is grounded in, in uh, Western psychology research, but really is inspired by these ancient wisdom traditions? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting. And also, you work right now, um, if I'm not wrong, at the Predictive uh, Index. That's can right. You, can you say a bit more about uh, the, the the company? And yeah, absolutely. So the Predictive Index has been around since 1955. It created uh, a, a behavioral assessment that was really designed to help us understand which types of people are naturally good at which types of work, and how we can provide coaching and development and leadership uh, in areas where that's not the case, right? Because all of us have uh, the, the ability to stretch where needed. So today, the company has more than 3 million assessments a year that people complete. So it's gotten to be quite a very big business, 10,000 clients across the world. And really, uh, we're the purveyors of, of a discipline known as talent optimization. So it's really about how do we help design winning teams and hire top talent and all these great things we need to make organizations go. So it's very much a, an evidence-based scientific organizational science approach to doing meaningful work in organizations. So I enjoy okay. that aspect of my role. Yeah. Ah, that, that's great. That's great. And um, in terms of uh, uh, maybe some people will have that, that, that question, like uh, something that you said a bit at the start, like uh, becoming an enlightened leader. Yeah. So is there a, um, uh, I don't think there is just one, but is there a specific range of time, a time frame by which you could meet uh, someone, I, I will talk more at the individual level. Maybe you, you could start working with someone that is maybe either struggling or a bit, or a bit more, uh, needs a bit more clarity. And you go from that starting point to that 
endpoint uh, that still need to be checked regularly of being an enlightened leader? Yeah, and I think even before we answer the question about time, the first question is the method. And when I talk to leaders today, they express a ton of frustration because they're like, what am I supposed to do? I, there's no real frameworks to speak of. There's competency models that are very detailed, but they're sort of um, academic. There's Google search. But then I find myself reading these lengthy articles, realizing that they don't really apply to me. So they really described to me not having sort of a clear method about like, how do I know I'm getting better? So I think the first thing we have to do is, and, and what I've tried to do in the book at least, is to provide a framework and a methodology that you can lay out a clear roadmap or a clear path. Because if the path is clear, we can get more leaders onto the path. And we can remove some of the mystery about what should I be doing? Where am I really? So a combination of the self-assessment to understand how far toward my objective of being an enlightened leader am I? And where I have an opportunity to go and, and uh, improve, pinpoint that for me. I don't have a ton of time. Nobody has time these days, right? So how do you make that, that pinpoint? With that methodology in hand, and then we can come to your question of well, how long does it take? And a combination of a couple things in my experience. One is the level of investment and commitment I have to learning the, the craft, I should say, of leadership. If we're willing to put in the time, the cycles, we make the time not just to read and to study, but also to practice, right? And that's a combination of personal you know, kind of individual work, silent work, offline work, you know, the mental game, but also trying things at work. So as an example, in my uh, chapter on trust, we talk about some exercises we can use to build trust. Well, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to actually do it with your team, all right? to do it with another person, to uh, try to build trust, to extend trust first before it's reciprocated, like these things, which kind of brings me to the second part, which is the preconditioning. How conditioned are you when it comes to less enlightened techniques, attitudes, <laughs> beliefs. If you have a belief, for example, that being a leader makes you better than those people who are followers, you actually have a lot more work to do than someone who might embrace this concept of equanimity and fairness and equality uh, better. Um, so so it's, it's a difficult question to answer depending on how ingrained yeah. some of the outdated attitudes and beliefs are. But I definitely believe the most important point of all is that with the right level of guidance, with the right level of intention and commitment, and if we're willing to put in the effort and, and have the discipline to do so, we all have what we need to realize our true potential. Yeah. So if we're willing to be flexible with the amount of time it takes, but we remain committed to the mission of mm -hmm. becoming enlightened, then I think that uh, that opportunity is there for us. Okay. Okay. That's a, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a great answer. Um, yeah. Maybe the question was a, uh, very sim simplified, let's say, because it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a continuous, uh, it's, it's a continuous process. And, and there, there is something you said that it's interesting in your, uh, uh, in your answer. Maybe that, maybe I misunderstood is, uh, the fact that, um, uh, you talk about equanimity, something like that. Yeah. Uh, the fact that someone would think that they, they would be better leader than their peers or, or than their, uh, uh, than their colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, can you re reiterate and, and uh, explain why that could be a, a, a negative or? Yeah, I think as an example, if, um, if we think about organizations first and we say, if a company uh, makes a ton of money, huge mm -hmm. success, lots of revenue, tons of profit, is it okay for them to pollute the planet? And the answer, of course, is no. Why, why should that? Well, 
well, they're very successful. They should be able to do whatever they want. You're like, no, it doesn't work that way. We all share the planet, right? So we're all share equally. We shouldn't allow just because, you know, an organization of a a certain um, capability or, or state that they don't get to just do those terrible things. It's also true for people. You know, so every one of us wants to be happy. We want to be free of suffering. We want to, um, you know, have a great time at work. We want to do meaningful work equally. So for us to see ourselves as different or better than other people actually sets us back in terms of an enlightened leadership approach. But if we say we all have the same access that we want to uh, these these uh, enlightened techniques and we all deserve to experience them the same. I don't feel like I'm giving up power as a leader because I'm making myself equivalent to everyone else. That's actually where enlightened power comes from. And that's where that intention and seeing my opportunity to um, to really have my true impact is going to come from. The more Mm -hmm. I try to set myself apart, the more I'm actually watering down my leadership ability because now people don't feel like they can relate to me. I've hurt trust. I've created an environment that's not safe and it's working against anything I might want to be trying to do with my leadership. Okay, excellent. Uh, that's really, really an excellent, uh, excellent explanation. Um, and I think the, the audience gets a really, a real insight into uh, uh, your vision of uh, uh, of leadership. Uh, maybe one last um, uh, question I have uh, for you, um, uh, Matt, is uh, when I say a consulting uh, lifestyle, as you are really consulting a lot of uh, people and organizations uh, in their leadership uh, journey. Uh, when I say consulting lifestyle, what does that mean uh, to you? Yeah, I think a consulting lifestyle, if we take the, and break that apart into two pieces, one, when we think about consulting, it's how do I have expertise that I can use to unlock the potential and the, um, the, the success of others, right? So the nature that it's consulting is that you're, you're in a helper role, right? You're not doing the thing, you're a consultant, you're helping them do the thing. So first one is this notion of a combination of expertise, because as a consultant, I know things, and the other is service because I want to help. So it's, it's kind of a joint combination, the intersection of my expertise, but also my intention to help you. That's the consulting part. Lifestyle is where it gets really interesting. So a lifestyle that is built around the impact and the work that you want to have in the world, but also satisfies what you want for your own life experience to be like. I, we said a little bit earlier, we all want to be happy and free of suffering. Well, what does that mean in terms of the role work plays within your life? If you're basically having a successful consulting practice, you're using your expertise, you're helping your clients make a huge difference, but it's coming at the cost of your personal relationships with your family, and it's coming at the cost of your own physical health, that's not success. We can't define success too narrowly when in reality, there's if it pulls us away from our true capacity and our true potential. So for me, I think it would be all about getting clear about what that lifestyle means in terms of a holistic definition of what success looks like. And yes, work is going to be an important pillar, especially you know when we're at our, our prime working age. But I think that the lifestyle is one that allows me to have this outsized impact on people around me, my clients, and and certainly allows me to be at my best and show up for my family and my community and for society with as much energy and, and natural capability as, as I can muster. So to me, that's what the lifestyle is all about. It's a holistic approach to you know what it truly means to be human and to be successful as a human, you know, in this time that I'm here. That's a, yeah, that's a excellent and a really comprehensive uh, answer. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, and uh, if people want to, uh, to find you, uh, where can they uh, go? 
Yeah, the easiest places to find me, one is on my website, mattpepsel.com. You can get in touch with me there, learn a little bit about the book and about what I'm all about. And if you like what you see, certainly LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I would love to link in with any audience member that uh, wants to have a question maybe I didn't answer or just wants to get a daily dose of inspiration from what I continue to contribute over there. Uh, that, that's great. And uh, do, you, um, do you also have a, a podcast? I have a podcast uh, called Lead the People. I would love to uh, have anybody check that out if they'd like to. It covers a lot of ground, but it's all um, guests who uh, enjoy talking about this topic. And, and uh, yeah, would love to, to have, okay. have listeners check, on, check it out. Okay, excellent. We will also put uh, all those details into the, um, inside the show notes of the episode. So uh, thanks very much, Matt. I think it was a, a great insight into uh, what being uh, and becoming an enlightened leader uh, is and uh, your vision and your uh, concept of uh, expanding the circle uh, about it. I think, it's, uh, I think it was a great episode. So uh, thanks very much, Matt. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode and subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified to hear other episodes with your host, Diogène Tirandekoura.